1: This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf, your host, and I'm joined today by Ed Luce of the Financial times David Sanger of the New York Times and Corey Schocke of Stanford University. Ed and I are still, as we were in the last episode, in a small room at Aspen Public Radio here in the foothills of the Rockies, um, attending the Aspen Ideas Festival. And Ed, as you, you've been here for a few days, you've been wandering around, you've been chased by bears, you've been enjoying your honeymoon but what ideas have you heard? What are the ideas of the Aspen Ideas Festival that you're going to take home with you?
2: Uh, So quite a lot of good ideas about the future in terms of AI and robots and digitalizing government and um, harnessing the genius of Silicon Valley with the idiocy of Washington, although that's not quite how people put it. Um, But there's no shortage of ideas. They're growing on these wonderful silvery aspen trees, the groves of which surround this uh, wonderful, wonderful town. Um, There's no shortage of ideas. Of course, the thing about aspen is that... People are all agreeing with ideas or disagreeing in very civil ways. Um, But it is very, very much a sort of eagle's nest elite 1% conversation. And if you see the traffic jams of private jets at Aspen Airport, all you can do is feel deep envy for the people who own them. (laughs) I'm there there with my thumb up. I stick it up. And, you know, I'm I'm still living in hope we can just fly directly home instead of going via Denver. Um, But there is no shortage of ideas.
3: Told Ed about the new deep state radio private jet that flies the rest of us
1: around
2: to these projects sorry i'm leaving the studio forthwith
1: D- yeah D- david i wish you hadn't brought that up it feels it <laughs> feels put out because he hasn't been on the deep state I mean, radio what's,
3: what's the advantage of a deep state if it doesn't have its own airport <laughs>
1: yeah well that's a that's a really good point david um, but is is there any main theme you're taking away ed from all of this
2: Yes, I'm taking away the theme that politics has to work. Everybody (laughs) seems to agree on that, but nobody can prescribe the course by which it ends up working. And that to me is, you know, that's where it's at. It's not the lack of ideas. It's the lack of the system's ability to get anywhere close to uh, um, executing these ideas. Um, So the focus is on what is it that's going to happen That'll make politics sane again, and that—that that seems to me to be the thread, if—if if there is a thread, running through uh, the political conversation.
1: David, you've been to Aspen many times. I've seen you in your waders as you headed down to the Roaring Fork River to master the trout of the Rocky <laughs> Mountains, um, and uh, and and one of the things that strikes me about these kind of gatherings, and I like Aspen. I'm really feel glad to be invited uh, it's very warm and friendly it's a lot better you know davos is cold and frozen you fall down a lot it's 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 nasty the the food is lousy in davos it's this is
3: but
1: there are no bears in davos they're, they're, no, no, no there are no no bears in davos but 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 every year somebody breaks their risk falling on the ice it's you know it's just not that pleasant uh, this is very pleasant but But David, everybody's an old white guy, except that some of the old white guys, you know, bring their wives. And, you know, there's no diversity at any of these meetings. You go to, you know, any of them, you know, they, they, they always bus in a few, you know, people of, you know, color and so forth. But how on earth do we have a discussion about the future of the planet when, you know, everybody, I mean, you and I were at the last Aspen Strategy Group. And I think there was one person of color in the whole discussion how do you, How do you have a discussion about the future of the world without having representatives of different groups within that world attending these forums
3: well you know that's absolutely true and you, the, there's even an Aspen poverty group that looks at issues of world poverty and when you
1: it's it's sent to millionaires and below
3: yeah you <laughs> you, you sometimes wonder um, yes. this is a big challenge because what you've seen happen in the past ten years is not only the Aspen group but many other um uh, uh, conferences that have sort of followed that model. So think of South by Southwest which has more of a music theme but has turned increasingly to sort of an ideas festival kind of thing. And then there are specific events including some very good ones at Aspen that you and I have been at. I look at foreign policy, of strategy group, there's a national security uh, and homeland security session that's coming up in a few weeks but, uh, that I'll be out for. <coughs> and um, it's the same problem with all of that. I would say it suffers from three problems. You've identified one, which is diversity. Uh, a second and related one is that frequently it takes the same people who are stuck in this discussion in New York and Washington and to some degree Silicon Valley and just meets them all up in the mountains, right? So you're not really getting a diversity of views that you wouldn't hear in, in many of the, the other environments, but you're hearing it in a lot nicer place. And then I think there was a third problem, which is these can tend to lead to groupthink. So you know, hmm. I think back to some of the they aspects. can lead
1: to, you're being very charitable, that. David. What
3: did you say?
1: You're being very charitable.
3: Well, you know, it's my July 4th nature and, you know, uh, just. Hanging out with with you and Corey and Ed would make anybody charitable for a brief period of (laughs) time. That's (laughs) That's very nice. I don't think
0: that's objectively true.
1: Yeah, I I I like that. Yeah, you're absolutely (laughs) right, David.
3: (laughs) 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 I agree. Um, But but the groupthink thing is, I think, the biggest problem. I mean, I think of of times we went out there on discussing at the height of the Iraq War counterterrorism issues, and there was sort of a a, a certainty that different approaches that were being taken ten years ago would ultimately not only quell terrorism, but bring Afghanistan and Iraq back into, you know, full membership in the rest of the world. And those certainties certainly look pretty foolish today. Uh, I remember some uh, that that looked at the at the question of how quickly the United States would get itself, learn the lessons of... Um, the the Great Recession of 08 and 09, and if you look at what Congress has done in recent times, you have to wonder whether or not those lessons were fully absorbed. So, I I think one of the problems is groupthink, and I think another is sustainability.
1: Well, another of the problems is this kind of culture of these events, where first of all it's a lot of you know careerism going on people going around trying to advance themselves do deals and all of that kind of thing i guess that's self interest but sometimes it produces complete bullshit and people don't you know confront each other and i you know an image calls to mind that that uh, perhaps you remember Corey, <laughs> where during the Aspen strategy group last year when you were speaking as representing you know all of womankind um <laughs> Uh, ab- about structures of the NSC. We had two former national security advisors there and they both were being super polite to each other saying, oh no, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. Except they were simultaneously describing points of view that were antithetical to each other. One <laughs> saying the president ought to control the everything and 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 the other saying it needs to be more distributed and so on and so forth. And to me it was like, like do we want to have a discussion like can't we like shut off the nonsense for a while and speak honestly? I mean you were in the middle of that I mean doesn't it find don't you find that frustrating sometimes?
0: Uh, so I most definitely find the lack of diversity of views frustrating in those fora um, and and not just the lack of racial or gender diversity but <laughs> Actually, I think David Sanger's point from earlier, the lack of um, economic diversity in the groups, uh, very, it, it feels artificial. Um,
1: Well, Ed Lewis uh,
2: is there, and he doesn't have a plane. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'm not an old white guy with his wife. I'm on honeymoon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Moreover, the people in those groups are actually not the people we need to persuade of the diversity of viewpoints, right? Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, I think that's what all of us establishment types learned this election, which is talking to each other is insufficient uh, to gain a consensus in the nation, that all of that said though, I actually loved that Aspen Strategy Group panel. I loved the opportunity to um, to present a study Will Wexler and I had done on how the interagency works and. Um, and some suggestions of best practices. But it was also a super great opportunity to get two national security advisors to comment on it. So my narrow, selfish self-interest was hugely gratified by what I learned at it. So so that's, as usual, I've come down on both sides of this issue. Th- that's,
1: that's proving my point. <laughs> yes, <But> exactly <laughs> right. You are exactly <laughs> right, David. But... But you know, a, the, I I think there's a bigger problem, right? The very the, the elites sort of do go away periodically and they'll go to Davos or they'll go to Aspen or they'll go to TED or they'll go to the Munich Security Conference or they'll go to you know they're just they're not a lot the IMF World Bank meeting they're just not a thousand of these meetings, there are a couple of dozen. Hey,
3: David, in your own defense, you missed one of those. <laughs> <laughs>
1: as, as fact, I, don't, no, I didn't go to the Munich Security Conference we, we this year. We were at Shangri-La. Yeah, but, but yeah, no, because Corey represented us at <laughs> Shangri-La. But, but, but the, the, the reality is that at each one of those events, um, the same people get together and say the same stuff that they've been saying to each other most of the time, uh, in fact, the utility of those events has collapsed because with email and Twitter and everything else, everybody's in a constant conversation of the type that they once had to go to one of these meetings to to, to, to go to. Um, and there is no diversity. And we sometimes ask ourselves, why are we stuck in a rut? But if we have the same people from the same small slice of life saying the same things about the same issues in the same way, in the same places over and over again, Why would we expect anything different in their leadership choices?
2: Yeah, and calling each other thought leaders. Everybody's (laughs) mutually branding that. No, you're a thought leader. No, no, I insist you are. (laughs)
0: Um, Chip and Dale.
1: Uh, uh, Chip and
2: Dale. I'm
1: so glad that Corey could bring up Chip and Dale and bring this conversation down to the Saturday morning cartoon level where we're
2: more accustomed to operate. <laughs> um, you asked earlier, and I admitted to men, you asked earlier the threat Wait a minute. Ed is like, do you even know who Chip and Dale are? I know who the Chip and Dales are. They're men who stripped, but I don't, uh, think, uh, I don't uh, think that's what no, Corey was talking not, about. No, she was talking Chip about and Dale were two cartoon, cartoon
1: characters. Yes. Yeah.
0: Dippendale yep. were thought leaders now on Saturday morning.
1: Up. Yeah, but that's the thing is I bet Ed, while he was growing up in England, you were like having tea parties and you didn't watch cartoons.
2: We were watching Paddington Bear. It was a formative experience. Do you want
1: to say something about the passing of the author of Paddington Bear, uh, who died just a couple of days ago at the age of 91?
2: Deep sadness. He was a, he was a, a genius of children uh, of ch- children's imaginations. And my daughter, who's 10, loves Paddington Bear and eats marmalade as a result of it.
1: As a result of Paddington Bear.
2: Well, actually, I exaggerate. She doesn't eat marmalade, but she would. Well, we've just
1: resolved something, Corey, that we brought up in the last episode, haven't we? And that's what Ed Luce's bear looks like. Yeah, it's after marmalade. That's
2: what it's after. It's not seeking to decapitate. It's after a jar of breakfast marmalade. And it looks like
1: Paddington Bear with a little note on the front saying, please return me to the Financial Times. He's
2: got a duffel coat on and a red hat. That was the bear I saw. Yeah. Um, so there, there was something I did omit to mention when you asked what the weather. There was a thread running through this fest, the Ideas Festival. Um, which does relate to what Corey and, and both Davids have been talking about in terms of lack of economic diversity is that a number of people have brought up, we need Simpson bowls, Simpson bowls being, of course, the bipartisan. A,
1: there was another group that strips and. Yes. S- <laughs> is it, Simpson no, that's not a group. No, stripper, it's
2: not a stripper group, but uh, it could be Simpson Bowls. It would it, it would, would uh, work. It's a fetching, it would,
1: yeah, it's a sound fetch- to it. Yeah, it does.
2: No, Simpson Bowl, but the, the bipartisan fiscal plan to reduce the entitlement fuel Simpson Bowls is
1: actually David Sanger's stripper name. <laughs> I, I thought it not was Tiffany that
2: um, David's yeah, uh, being really judicious and not responding from Vermont. But look, Simpson Bowles is the one percent solution to the crisis we're in. Um, that, that the problem here is that entitlements growth in twenty thirty five will be too high. Is is not is not how the other ninety nine percent see this. It's a classic elite economic diagnosis of the problem. And I have been hearing a lot of Simpson Bowles. Most recently this morning from Paul Singer, the the, the very successful hedge fund guy. Um, saying that is how we must respond to today. And I have to say, I think it's, it's kind of pie in the sky and um, not, not though to jeopardize my, my ride home on his jet because he's a wonderful guy. And Aspen's so a lovely place. So I actually place. want
0: to disagree with that um, because uh, since, since I somehow represent the anti-establishment force uh, on this subject, which is that unless we get a simpson bowles style entitlement reform, there will be no discretionary spending in the federal budget, or we will have to accommodate enormous tax hikes and not just on the rich. We can, in fact, put something like simpson bowles in place and, and tailor it in, and the people who are going to get hit by it are people like me, not actual poor people in this country. We need to do that.
2: Well, do you want to get into the details? I mean, should Go we get on. into that? No, no. Go D- on. Well, sure. this, okay. So Simpson-Bowles uh, makes 80% of the deficit reduction in spending cuts and 20% in tax increases. It's an 80-20 formula. I have to say, I think that it's not back to front, but I think that's way skewed towards the cuts on those you know, with not much else to survive on, to depend on. I totally agree that the fiscal picture's got to be liberated for discretionary spending, which will then enable us, the federal government, to invest in the future, and that's the core problem. So I agree with Corey about that hundred percent. But the way that this, that Simpson Bowles is designed, th- th- this is this is a one percent design. It's not 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 a fair distribution yeah, of burden. Right,
1: because the reality is that no no company would solve its problem this way. You'd have to have a revenue solution alongside your cost cutting solution, and in you know the United States. Um, there are plenty of people who are not being overtaxed at the moment, per- particularly against historical norms. And to some extent, in order to solve these problems, you're going to have to raise taxes, which is anathema to one group. And that gets us to another point. David Sanger, are you still there?
3: Uh, of course.
1: Okay. You so you d- is-
3: Perhaps I was down looking for Ed there to see.
1: No. <laughs> no, I thought you were probably, in, you know, in Lake Sanger, in your hip waders, <laughs> practicing casting. But Lake but, Sanger,
3: for later in wow! The afternoon, yeah, no,
1: no, it's no, it's a special place, uh, but you know. The, the another sort of realm of the ideas that you often get at these festivals or discussions are ones like this, which are completely academic, because there's no way that a Simpson Bowls or a tax increase or any of this thing could possibly pass through the Congress we've got or anyone that we're likely to foresee over the next four to five years. And AI is a great thing to discuss, and it's coming fast, and we need to talk about it. But it's also a little bit remote from a lot of the issues that we're talking about here. And in terms of practical solutions, um, it does seem to me that that the, the, you know we we're we're often in the realm of the academic or the theoretical at these events, and I, I know you frequent them, David. I'm just wondering if you agree. Uh,
3: I I actually do agree, and you know this is not an issue that is limited in any way to um, events at Aspen or similar conferences. Um, you know, for years I've. Involved in teaching a course on national security, and what we've often found with it is you send. Where do you teach?
1: Them. Where do you teach your course, David?
3: I, I, I teach this at the at the Harvard Kennedy School, where, uh, of course, none of the problems that you just described, you know, about uh, uh, about um, these kinds of asking, like um, format um, applies at all none
0: of that applies
1: none of that applies actually David's office in the building that he lives in is actually made out of ivory not many people. <laughs> <laughs> so,
3: um the, the the problem is this: you can send students off or you can go off to that at a conference and talk about the perfect policy solution and we could argue whether the right mix is 8020 on Simpson Bowls or whether it should be 6040 but um, At some point, the perfect policy solution hits the politics of the moment. And we have misguessed the politics of the moment so dramatically uh, over the past uh, year or two or three. And you're seeing this play out in health care right now, for sure. So um, the big question is, can you have a conversation that actually mixes the uh, the realities of the politics with the quality of the ideas? And those promoting the better ideas say, "Well, the ideas will drive the politics," and that almost never works out that way.
1: Well, that's that's an interesting point, but it gets to something I think even more core, Corey, um, and that is, you know, we're talking about these meetings, and we go to them, we benefit from them, we enjoy the large buffets that they offer, and. Um, there's at the there's a snack tent at the Aspen Ideas Oppo- Festival. The
0: opportunity to run at altitude.
1: Yeah, running at altitude is watching a bunch of old rich people wheezing as they walk down the path is entertaining always. But you know, there's a lot of benefits. You get a swag bag with a water bottle and a hat and stuff. All that's good. But we go to it and we love being invited. We love the events and we think they're worthy in terms of their objective. But you can't help but walk away hating a lot of it also, hating a lot of the people that, you know, these elites, they get on your nerves. Um, And imagine when you go
3: off and listen to deep state radio.
1: Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because deep state radio is where the real people are. But 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 imagine how a Trump supporter feels about this. Imagine how an average American or an average anybody anywhere else feels about this. Is it any wonder that they're outraged and they feel that people are disconnected from them? We, you know, we have a representative system of government, but we have, don't have a representative system of idea formation. Uh,
0: we do have a representative uh, system of idea formation. It's called elections. It's a binary. I like it or I don't. Uh, but it is the conveyor belt. So I had the fun uh, this fall of writing a piece for the Double I Double S Journal Survival on Republican foreign policy after Trump, and um, and in going back and looking at who was supporting candidate Trump, what were they concerned about, how have establishment Republican policies failed them? It's actually it's actually really easy to see why they're exasperated with us. Because uh, we elites are insulated from the kind of anxiety that they're experiencing. And when we say, but wait, your TV's getting cheaper, don't worry about trade. Um, and, And they say, that's not what I'm worried about. I am worried about having employment as my entire profession goes away and having the dignity that goes along with that so so we got a lot of work to do Um, we have a lot of work to do to come up with policy solutions to problems that our voters are totally understandably anxious about and and i think we should take president trump's election as a barbaric yap over the roofs of the republican establishment and instead of treating president trump's voters as ignorant bigots we need to treat them with the respect that their concerns understandably deserve and my first my favorite um near-term fix would be portable health care because people are fearful that as their jobs go away, their health care is going to go away. And they would be more mobile. They would be more susceptible to retraining themselves for different fields if they weren't fearful that their health care was going to go away if they got fired.
1: By the way, this is, you know, there's a whole realm of ideas and discussions that I, you know, i sort of been going to these things for a long time now. And we get into the discussions, but you always know what, the solution really is. And nobody wants to actually get to it. You know, every OECD country in the world has a single-payer system except the United States. There is only one way to provide everybody with health coverage in a way that works, and it's done everywhere except the United States. And sooner or later, we will get there, but probably later, given the nature of our system. Um, You know, it's like Israel and the Palestinians. Well, we can talk all the stuff that people talk all the time, there is no solution until there's a two state solution there is no answer to this question without a palestinian state um and in fact if there is no palestinian state and a two state solution then you end up with a palestinian state in a one state solution and you know you this, these things are sort of evident on their face but they don't get discussed but you just wrote a book on that had a big focus on populism and this sense of alienation that a lot of people in the 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 rest of the world have from from elites but i wonder what the you know the, there's the flip side which is it's not just that they feel alienated it's that the elites don't get it as cory says the elites don't get the problems that are on the minds of these people
2: well that i mean your single-payer health care healthcare system is a classic example of that because if you look at the kaiser foundation polls and other polls Somewhere between 60 and 70 percent of Americans support a single payer health care system in some form or another. It would if if it included the monopsony rights that come with the government as the single buyer negotiating decent rates from hospitals, drug prices and so forth, actually drive down health care inflation as a share and healthcare as a share of the US economy, and it would make it more affordable for everybody and make capitalism and risk taking and setting up businesses and being entrepreneurial a much less dramatic life risk than it is with this system. So I agree with you. I certainly hope that we're driving towards that in the United States. Um, I doubt that we are. But I also think to key into your point about Aspen and such festivals and your. Very prescient book, Superclass, about this whole international um, conference circuit. Um, I don't think that 60% of people at Aspen would agree with, six, with a single-payer healthcare. care. My guess it would be more like 6% of Aspen. Uh, that's a huge divide. Who there is generating the better idea? Is it the people out there or is it Aspen? I'd suggest it's the people out there in this hugely important example.
1: By the way, folks, if you're playing the Ed Luce drinking game, <laughs> he did say monopsony <laughs> in the earlier
2: comment, and so drink up uh, for th- those of you. <laughs> they're going to be modestly inebriated by this point. It's, <laughs> yes. not, it's not a tsunami of, of no, no. Of terms.
1: Yeah, Exactly, they're going to be they're going to be modestly inebriated. David, you know, one of the things that strikes me is that not only are economic and cultural Groups kept out of these discussions, so is most of the world. Most of these discussions don't include large representation of people from Africa, from uh, Central America, from the poorer nations of Central Asia, and so forth. And so again, we have these big discussions where we're purporting to talk about the whole world, but it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of people with very, very few... um, Ideas that are regularly in circulation.
3: It's absolutely true, and what I fear is that we're moving a little more in that direction after years of moving a little less in that direction. One of the great things about these kind of conferences is if you can bring in people from other cultures, other societies, uh, then you know you're going to get an infusion of at least a different set of perspectives. But the more we have been perceived around the world as moving uh, to an America first kind of approach to many issues. I think the less people are interested in engaging um, uh, in engaging.
1: Them. Absolutely true. Now as I said in the last episode these episodes are a little bit truncated because it's July 4th week and we just wanted people to
2: be able to get out
3: there. And because Ed ran out of British words that we have to look up. <laughs> Monopsony
2: is not a British word. None of those words, (laughs) the the English
1: language is shared by many of us, David, Um, if not by all of us. Some (laughs) of us. But I do want to say before we wrap up that those of you out there in our huge, incredibly creative, creative, beloved world of um, deep state radio nerds... um, Keep sending in these great ideas, promoting Deep State Radio, getting us back to our former strength. We are growing rapidly thanks to you, thanks to your tweeting, thanks to Facebook posts, thanks to the really sort of lunatic ideas that people come up with on a fairly regular basis uh, off, of, off of these shows. We, I saw a Billard Fillmore-related game that was a reference to many Maybe episodes. Still of my heart. Yeah, no, it really, I saw, thought Corey would see that and start to weep. Possibly he it's did, Gordon.
3: Fillmore was the original member of the deep state. We
1: can't really discuss that. Um, the, I live in the city with the giant George Washington Masonic Memorial. There's There have been allegations of the deep state for a long, long time. But in any event, keep that coming, and we will reward it with mugs and sweatshirts and even the much coveted rhinestone
0: tiaras, of optimism. rhinestone tiaras of optimism
1: and the deep state orb coming soon to a merchandising opportunity near you which will look a lot like a magic eight ball but with our logo on it uh and that'll be out and all of that'll be coming your way literally in a couple of weeks but keep those things coming um now uh and keep up the great discussion on Twitter and Facebook and elsewhere. It's a lot of fun, and we really, really appreciate it. We also really appreciate being joined for this episode by Corey in California, by David in Vermont, and by Ed and his bear here (laughs) in Aspen, Colorado. Next week, we'll be back in Washington, D.C., and we'll be joined by uh, another of our old friends who's got plenty to say on subjects that I know you're interested in. Susan Hennessy of Lawfare. So please come, listen, enjoy, drink when Ed says monopsony, and we'll see you all again soon. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright.